0: Okay. Hello, my name Jennifer. Welcome to the Pro-Life Podcast with my interview with Jacob as we talk about my journey from being pro-choice to pro-life and my work here in San Antonio, Texas as a nurse sonographer.
1: So, so Jennifer, welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, would you introduce yourself uh, to yeah, to those who are listening, which might be like pro-life leaders or pregnancy clinic directors?
0: <laughs> yes, no problem. My name's Jennifer. Um, uh, just a little bit about me. I'm from upstate New York originally, and uh, the short end of that is I joined the military. That's why I live down here in Texas now, okay? And uh, so my background basically... As far as the pro-life movement is concerned, um, I did start out, uh, you know, in a kind of a Christian home environment. I was going to church and everything, but we attended a church that didn't really talk about abortion. Um, I'm sure that's not a news story to a lot of people. Um, But unfortunately for me, not talking about abortion very much or not really knowing much about it, I kind of lean towards the pro-choice side of matters. Um, If I heard about somebody having an unplanned pregnancy, especially in cases like rape or incest, I immediately felt that, well, maybe they should terminate the pregnancy. That might be uh, a better option for them. So uh, that's kind of where I started. And then there was a long uh, transformation, if you will, that had happened uh, over the course of my lifetime. So from upstate New York, originally moved down here to Texas, active duty Air Force nurse. Um, My medical background has a little bit to do with that story. And um, yeah, I live down here now with my husband, Jeff. He's a San Antonio firefighter and I have a daughter named Savannah and she's three years old.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell us, tell us your story of going, you know, tell us about that transition of going from pro-choice or okay with abortion to being pro-life or against abortion.
0: Yes. I really like how you, um, worded that just now, because back then, if you had asked me, are you pro-life or pro-choice? I would say, well, I'm pro-life, you know, but really I was okay with abortion. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Uh, I made exceptions in my mind and I didn't even realize I was doing it at the time. And, you know, I guess you don't really know what you stand for, or what you believe until it is the situations in front of you, so to speak. So um, I would say I didn't really start looking at the issue until I was a young teenager, I'd say about 15 years old. And, you know, we're in high school. And of course, I grew up in upstate New York, upstate New York, if for those of you who don't know, it's a very, it leans a little bit more liberal, left-leaning as far as, you know, our policies, our laws, how we look at things. Um, abortion was seen as like the, uh, you know, human right or women's right. It was uh, described as health care, things like that. Um, so it was very easy to mesh into that culture, even if you were going to church. The sad part of that is, is the church never really talked about it, at least the church I was going to. Um, I know that they it was a smaller church. They might not have seen as many scenarios uh, that had to do with abortion. And so that being said, I had a friend, let's call her Kelly. I'm going to change people's names here just for the sake of privacy, of course. a um, Very good friend of mine. We're only 15. I want to say 14, 15 years old. And unfortunately, you know, she did become pregnant. And I was the, one of the first people she told. And when she told me that I was shocked, I just, I, I remember freezing when she told me that. And I didn't even believe that it was true. I thought she was joking or something. And she said, no, I really am. And she showed me the test. And all I can think of was, oh my goodness, we're 15 years old. Like, I can't imagine if that were me, what would I do? And that thought really kind of disturbed me, actually, because my first gut instinct was if that were me, I would get rid of it. Right. I'm, I'm scared to death. My parents are going to kill me. Um, I'm never going to be able to go to college. All of that kind of stuff, you know, goes through your head. And she actually told me those exact words. She's like, I can't do this. I can't be a mom right now. You know, my boyfriend and I, we're not even really together. Uh, I don't think he wants to be a dad. I'm not ready. My parents are going to kill me, that kind of thing. And so she went forward and went to an appointment at Planned Parenthood. And that's when I realized, oh, this is really real. She is pregnant. She did go to Planned Parenthood. She took her boyfriend with her. She said that the experience was really strange. She said that she had to get an ultrasound at Planned Parenthood to verify that there was actually a pregnancy that needed to be terminated. And she said when she laid on the sonogram table and the exam table, the nurse or sonographer, I'm not sure, but they had the screen turned away from her and she couldn't see anything. And as they're doing the scan, she asked them like, hey, can I see, can I see what's going on there? And the sonographer turned to her and said, actually, I'm not allowed to show this to you. Which I found very interesting. You know, fast forward to now, the fact that I know that now, I'm like, ooh, that's that's actually not, um, pretty sure that's not legal. <laughs> but uh, she told her, I'm not allowed to show this to you, but what I can do is print you a picture, and I'll tear it off underneath the table here, and I'll hand it to you underneath the table so nobody knows. Because she's, I, she said, my manager will, I can basically get in trouble for showing you this photo. So she took that photo home. And of course, she shows it to me. And I didn't know much about embryology back then. Um, you know, thinking back to the photo, it was just like the black square. And I saw like a little circle on there. And I'm like, I don't know what you're even showing me, <laughs> you know. And she told me, she goes, no, Jenny, this is my baby. So even then, both of us leaning pro-choice at the time in that mindset, we both knew we were looking at a human life here, even though it looked like a tiny little circle and whatnot. We didn't even really understand what we were looking at, but we acknowledged, both of us, this is a human life. And so she did go on to go to an appointment. She did a chemical abortion, basically where you take two pills, mifepristone, and then take a second pill, misoprostol, to um, expel the pregnancy. When she went through that process, it was horrendous. She would not stop throwing up. She could not stop bleeding. The only people who knew were myself, her boyfriend, maybe another person. Her parents did not know. Um, And it got to a point where she was throwing up so badly and bleeding so badly. I thought, something's wrong here. I think we need to get you to a hospital. And I was getting ready to call her mom and tell her, please, like, I'm sorry we lied to you. But, you know, my friend Kelly's having an abortion and I think she's going to bleed to death, that kind of thing. Luckily, that did not happen. Um, her bleeding did subside. But I can tell you to this day, she has never been the same ever again. And that was, that was probably the biggest um, interaction I had with abortion um, at that time. And in my gut, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong, but I still rationalized it. I'm like, no, she's too young. Her boyfriend doesn't want anything to do with it. The baby will have a bad life. I just made all these excuses, you know. And, uh, you know, that was probably one of the, the first things that I encountered. I had another friend, we'll call her Ashley. She was a rape victim. This poor girl, only 14 years old. She was raped by some of her siblings, uh, older siblings. A friend of theirs did rape her. And she became pregnant. And, again, it was another situation where I felt like she was too young, You know the rapist. This person who raped her was a drug addict. Um, I just I rationalized it in my mind, and I thought, well, maybe this is the best thing for her. Um, She ended up having to have a surgical abortion, and I believe she was well into her second trimester already. And uh, after her procedure, I was not there, but two of my other friends were there, and they said that they literally had to carry her out of the facility. Uh, because she was so weak, couldn't even walk. And even back then, now I'm not in nursing school yet, right? I'm getting ready to go to nursing school. But even back then, I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I thought, I thought Planned Parenthood was a medical facility. I thought that they would take care of a patient. If somebody's too weak to walk, wouldn't they do something for her? That was another red flag to me. So that was, you know, both, both abortion encounters I had at a young age ended up in serious red flags for me. I started really looking at this, and I thought, is this really healthcare? We know this is a human, and they're not even treating the women properly after they're having these procedures, and it just seems downright dangerous to me. So, um, that was the other experience with it, and so, you know, I go to nursing school. I went to nursing school straight out of high school, and I started to just kind of pay attention a little more in my biology classes and all of that. And we did have to do some OB rotations and we did have to care for some patients who did indeed get an abortion, but they needed hospitalization because their outcome did not turn out so well. Either it was too much bleeding or an infection, something like that. And of course, growing up being told abortion is safe, I keep seeing all these scenarios where I'm like, no, I keep seeing all these terrible things happening. Something's not adding up here. I feel like I'm being lied to. And so call it divine intervention. I started praying about it, actually. I was like, Lord, I feel like there's more going on here and I need to know the truth. And right around that time, another person, a cousin of mine, became pregnant. We'll call her Sandy. And. This time around, I changed my mind on it. And I said, are you sure you want to do this? Again, she was young, 16. I went and got her the adoption information. I found a crisis pregnancy center right there in Ithaca, New York. Um, That crisis pregnancy center was actually located um, not very far from the Planned Parenthood. So I was able to find it very easily. Uh, Planned Parenthood in Ithaca is located right near Um, low-income housing, it's not far from the colleges. You have Ithaca College, Cornell University. It is strategically located in a place where people who are in panic mode, especially young students and young people, can go quickly to get their problem taken care of. Um, And this was just, it was just everywhere. Um, So anyway, I tried and tried with her to have her reconsider this idea of having an abortion. Um, She did not listen to me. She went forward with her abortion. And again, it's another scenario where she has never she's never been the same ever again. Um, There was another cousin who had another. I know it's a lot of stories, (laughs) it's kind of a lot, but they all did play a certain role. Um, She had an abortion as well in that situation. Finances were really strapped. The father of the child wanted nothing to do with it. And so instead of pleading with her that time, I was kind of a bystander. And what I mean by that is I kind of stood back and I didn't really say much of anything. Because this particular, in this particular scenario, my cousin knew what I tried to convince my other cousin to do. And she didn't want to hear it. And I just, you know, looking back on it, I wish I was still brave and just said what I said to my other cousin to try to convince her but i didn't and to this day i definitely regret that even if she were to get mad at me i wish i would have tried to convince her to keep the pregnancy um so anyway all those things happen i start praying and lo and behold i am at my grandmother's house one day i'm sitting on the living room floor i look up and i somebody's being interviewed on the news and i realize now it's lila rose and lila rose i believe was going to school for some kind of investigative journaling or something at the time, and she posed herself as a young, I believe 14, young girl uh, seeking an abortion at a Planned Parenthood facility. She told them that her boyfriend was much older than her, certainly a statutory rape situation. Not only was the statutory rape not addressed, it was covered up, they told her to lie on her paperwork. And That scenario right there, rang. it just brought back memories of my friend that was raped. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, this isn't just a one case scenario. This is happening all over the country, not just in New York. It's happening in California. There's something wrong with this um, for a facility, especially a facility like Planned Parenthood, to be coaching women to lie on their paperwork. And so I started looking into Lila Rose's work. And that led me to Abby Johnson. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of her before. Um, and she talked about her experience being a uh, Planned Parenthood director and all the things that she experienced. That was all very profound to me, but was the big one. The big thing that changed my mind was when I came across a video um, by Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Um, Dr. Bernard Nathanson was one of the founders of NARAL, as you probably already know. And he narrated a ultrasound guided abortion. And he talked about what a surgical abortion actually is. And he went through it step by step. I watched that video. Now, I am well into nursing school. I already have my RN at this point. I'm going for my bachelor's degree. I'm getting ready to commission in the Air Force. And I saw that video and I thought to myself, okay, that's it. Abortion is wrong in every single case. Um, It was just so disturbing, those images that I saw. Um, And it's so common. I believe that baby in that video, the silent scream is what it's called. I believe it was somewhere between 14 and 16 weeks gestation. And um, I just thought to myself, this is completely inhumane. It changed my mind completely. So I went from being pro-choice to becoming more pro-life but silent about it to being full-on pro-life and speaking uh, about it to anyone that will listen so those were probably the biggest uh things that happened in my life that made the change
1: wow (laughs) so so looking back at your story um what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on when it comes to God's fingerprints in that story, or where do you see God, how God has brought you, you know, where, where, where do you see God's fingerprints in your story, or where, where do you, where do you highlight yes. in regards to that question?
0: I would say that it wasn't until I started praying to him uh, that God started to real, reveal to me the truth, and, um, you know, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't until I encountered people who were actually going through abortion that I even started even thinking about it. Uh, It wasn't like these things were happening to me directly. Uh, So I never paid much attention. And then once it started, I started seeing people around me and all the destruction that it was causing. I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I'm being lied to here. So I started praying to God about this. And very quickly, he revealed the truth to me. I saw that interview on television with Lila Rose um, and the testimony of Abby Johnson, all of them. And not only did their testimonies ring true to me, I'm like, yes, this makes sense. This is why this seems so evil to me. But also everyone else's faith, everyone else who came to faith through this as well. I know that Abby Johnson and Dr. Bernard Nathanson, all of them had to reckon with God about this at some point. And I felt the same way. Um after I watched that video the silent scream by Dr. Bernard Nathanson I was on my knees just bawling my eyes out asking God to forgive me uh for being a bystander for not speaking up for life um when I when I read in his word that he knit us together he knew us before we were, we were even born um he he has a plan for every single life out there even if the circumstances around the conception are not ideal God still has a plan, and I can see stories of that over and over, even in the Bible. I mean, Moses, he had no chance. I mean, you would think, you know, thrown in a basket and just down the river like that. It's like, no, he had a plan for him. He had a plan for Joseph being thrown down in a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery by a caravan, not knowing where he's going to go. This idea that we think that, well, certain human beings can live and other human beings can live because we decide their quality of life beforehand. It's us trying to play God. And we have not relinquished that control to our Almighty God. He has got it. And so that's why I'm just I'm so proud now because I've got the opportunity now to serve in a pregnancy center. That's what I do now. I'm a nurse sonographer. And uh, that whole story is just crazy on its own too. How how I ended up with that job, um, but you just you just never know where somebody's going to end up. Um, so yeah, I would say that was the biggest way God's fingerprints showed up in that whole story there. Hmm.
1: So yeah, it seems like the. I would like to talk. I like to speak a little more about the lies. So like when it comes to Planned yes. Parenthood promoting someone to lie. Um, can you speak, yeah, with as much clarity and, and focus on like, can you speak to one of those lies and then maybe the next?
0: Yes. So one of the biggest lies that I'm hearing, and these are clients coming in and talking with me in the pregnancy center, even I could probably go on and on, but one of the biggest lies I'm hearing is that, uh, the abortion pill, the chemical abortion pill is just as safe as Tylenol. I'm going to tell you right now that is a bold-faced lie. Um, I even explained to a patient, if, if the abortion pill, let's say that the abortion pill clinically and uh, you know medically is perfectly safe. Let's say you take it. There's no risk for bleeding. There's no risk for infection. All of this. Let's talk about the psychological trauma. Do you have post-abortive trauma by taking Tylenol? Do you have to grapple with the idea that, you, that life is ended because we're blocking progesterone, a vital hormone to keep a human being alive? So, and, and then ultimately, in an abortion, someone dies every single time. That is the end goal of the abortion. And so to say that an abortion is safe is already a bold-faced lie because somebody will lose their life. If the baby loses their life and as well as the mother, the mother could lose their life as well. So this idea that Tylenol is, you know, Tylenol and abortion pill can be somehow equivalent is just lies. Um, That's one of the biggest ones. I'm also hearing lies from mostly social media, what I'm seeing, and some patients are coming in afraid, and they will ask me. Is it illegal for a woman to get care if her life is in danger? In, in those situations that I'm talking about, if you're having a miscarriage or you have an ectopic pregnancy or something going on, uh, an ectopic pregnancy for any of your listeners that don't know what that is, it's basically a pregnancy that does not end up uh, implanting in a woman's uterus. It ends up somewhere in the fallopian tubes. Or possibly the ovary or somewhere it's not supposed to be. If that pregnancy is allowed to grow, yes, it could burst, and there could be internal bleeding, it could be very dangerous. In those situations, there is absolutely no pro-life laws in all 50 states that will prevent a medical provider from providing life-saving care to that mother. But unfortunately, (laughs) we still have people spreading lies that suddenly, since v. Way has been overturned that women who have dangerous complications like ectopic pregnancies and so on can't get care because it's considered a abortion, <laughs> so that's another those would probably be the biggest lies that I'm encountering right now
1: yeah, and I've heard both of those in you know in different scenarios where i can I can attest that I've heard those as well from the opposition, mm-hmm. and I would also like to say so with the opposition to you know essentially the opposition to life or those who were pro, pro-, pro- you know, essentially trying to support abortion um mm. it just seems to me like so here's a little bill a backstory and then a then a question so the attorney general of washington is currently file you yeah know, they have there's an open case they're looking for misleading ads from pregnancy clinics um and and essentially, why yeah? You know, why is the attorney general of a state not looking at the lies? And, and not to say that they're yeah. It, it, and for like for my, and for many good marketing companies, we don't use misleading ads. We don't. Right. But there. But all that to say is, um, yeah. These attorney generals of of a given state. Why? Why is there? You know In your opinion, why are? Why is Planned Parenthood and these groups who are spreading lies like saying if you have a topic pregnancy, you're not going to get care if abortion becomes outlawed or abortion. The abortion pill is as safe as Tylenol when there's literally a life that is being ended as a result of it reaching its goal. So, yeah, why are states not uh, filing lawsuits against Planned Parenthood or, you know, what what what, what's the um, the medical case here? Wow,
0: that's a really good question. Um, You know, I. I can't say I know all the answers to that. The first thing that comes to mind, uh, especially with a big corporation like Planned Parenthood, there could be a lot of intimidation there. I know that they have a lot of legal muscle. They've probably got funds upon funds to twist up the courts and hire someone that could eloquently um, continue that lie uh, and, and uh, protect them at the same time. Um, I do personally think there still needs to be action, though. We can't cower to that. Um, The fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned is evidence of this. That was David and Goliath for sure. Um, We still need to speak up and and tell the truth. Um, It is is incredible, though. There seems to be a skewed attack towards pregnancy centers and pro-life organizations saying that we're the liars. We're the ones trying to, to trick people. I can tell you firsthand that I talk with real clients that experience these things. And yes, we do talk with patients who do go up, go ahead and have their abortion. They come back to our facilities because a lot of them need counseling. And a lot of them will tell us, you guys were the only ones who told me the truth. That's what, that's what they're saying. Uh, we had an attorney from, I want to say it is, I hope I'm not misquoting the name of the foundation i want to say it is uh centers against forced abortion foundation something like that he was an attorney who came to our pregnancy center and he gave us some really good um information there and what he does was is it he collects
1: alan parker yes Alan Parker. Him. yes okay yes oh, okay. i'm so
0: glad you know who that was as soon as you said the name I'm like yep that's who it is <laughs> i don't have the best memory sometimes you know, he uh, compiles uh, stories from women who have been hurt by abortion, and their testimonies are powerful. Um, you can't really lie about that, right? If you've experienced something, just like myself, wasn't me that experienced the abortion, but I watched uh, my, my close friends and family go through this and what they have told me. They have no reason to lie about any of this. Um, We do know though that places that do provide abortions like Planned Parenthood have a reason to lie. And that reason, in my opinion, is money. Um, I don't get any money for telling my side of the story. And I'm sure my friends and family who've experienced the traumas of abortion don't don't, don't get paid to expose what's really going on. So they have to lie, they have to lie. There's no way you can tell a patient you know what, I can't guarantee that this abortion is going to be safe and I can't really guarantee that you're not going to have post-abortive trauma either. Uh, If they were to approach it from that uh, perspective when educating patients and giving them informed consent, which is what a medical facility and medical uh, providers are supposed to do, uh, if they approached it in that way, I think there would be far less abortions. I really do. Uh, A patient needs to have informed consent and know all of the risks. Um, I can't tell you how many people have told me that when I went to get my abortion, the doctor didn't even talk to me. They didn't even talk with the patient and go over the risks. Uh, As a nurse, I can tell you I've worked trauma. I've been a military nurse. I've worked uh, in surgical wards and everything. An anesthesiologist or surgeon will not touch you unless they get informed consent and go through all of the risks. And then you have to sign on the piece of paper along with that physician. Yes, I agree to this. And, you know, knowing the risk that I'm willing to go ahead with it. There's no way that this is not being done um, or that this that is being done at these abortion facilities. Um, I imagine what might be done to skirt this in a legal way, so that they're not being sued, they're likely listing it on a long piece of paper, probably a stack of paperwork, and telling the patient to quickly read it and sign it and get it over with. Um, again, in my opinion, I think that is dishonest, um, and it's not serving the patient well. I don't think that these women are being fully informed about what they're doing. So,
1: so one of the lies that I've heard, and I, th- I think it's Incredibly dangerous is when when someone when someone takes the the first abortion pill and then they're sent home to take the second abortion pill and and they're told that they have any complications to go to the ER and to and to not tell them that they took the abortion pill, but to say something else. And, yes. and so what yeah, t- have you heard that and what of your yeah what would yes. you reflect on that story or what you've heard in that scenario and seen yes. from what the opposition is using as this mm-hmm. very dangerous lie to essentially not to not even communicate the truth of what's happening yes. uh medically and what what someone actually did you know with recent medical you know, med- decisions
0: yes um I am so glad you brought that up I'm so glad because this is something I recently saw. Uh, I actually saw an ad about that. It was by Doctors Without Borders, in fact, and it was coaching people to go ahead with their chemical abortion if they do have bleeding complications, to report to an emergency room. And there was literally an image like this on the ad that said, you do not have to tell them this was caused by an abortion. You can simply say that you think you're having a miscarriage and nobody will know the difference. That's the verbiage they use the medical staff will not know the difference and they will give you care. Here's the thing about that. We just touched on the fact that they are trying to push this narrative that the abortion pill is just as safe as Tylenol. Well, how can they really know this when their data is skewed? When you're telling patients to go into an emergency room and lie and tell them, oh, I think I'm just having a miscarriage. Well, how are they going to uh, be able to put that into their data How are they going to be able to research that when they don't have the proper data um, about the amount of patients that require emergency services after taking the abortion pill so that right there goes to show that they are in the in the business of lying Um, to tell somebody to lie about that is also making that patient participate in your lies that's another thing they like to do They don't, they're not satisfied to lie themselves. They want you to lie with them. So then you can be together. Um, I think Dr. What was it? Hayward Johnson. He wrote the book, The Scalpel and the Soul. He calls it the abortion distortion. He said that's exactly what happened in medical school. As soon as they went through their OB rounds and they had some of the students had to witness an abortion process, it's like an initiation process. They want you to come into the room. And just watch it happen. And now you're a part, now you're initiated in the club, so to speak. It's a desensitization. They want you to get used to lying. They want you to see it as normal and to be able to move on to the next step. And, you know, now all those medical professionals that are providing that patient care, and I can tell you firsthand, as a medical professional who has taken care of patients who've had complications from abortions, it is not my job. To judge them and it is not any physician or nurse in any other uh er facility or hospital for that matter to judge a patient it is also uh not a situation where that woman is going to be charged uh you know it's not like we're going to put you in handcuffs afterwards you know um most prudent nurses and providers want their patients to tell them the truth this is going to give us a little more insight as to what's going on and how do we treat that person? Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that answers that question. But yes, I'm glad you touched on that.
1: Yeah. If you could send me a, do you have a copy of that advertisement or could you send me a link or a, a photo of it? Because yes. yeah. Uh, while you were talking, I was trying to look for it on Google and I, I couldn't oh, yeah. find it easily, at least. I'm and sure I would really I like to it. share that. Yes, yes, I would really definitely. appreciate I'm, that.
0: Definitely. Yes. I think I can find it. Doctors Without Borders. I believe I saw it on YouTube. Um, So I'll go ahead and search for that. And definitely um, when I find it out. Yeah.
1: Because I think in the end, like that, that needs to be shared with an attorney general who wants to, because essentially what that is, is that's literally that's deception in advertising or asking someone to deceive their medical doctor in advertising. That needs to be like that's to me that that seems like a pretty open and closed case when it comes to sure. um, a, a response, But like yes. there's you know, not much maybe not much more research needed to take action on something that's so blatantly evil, right, boldface, evil,
0: absolutely, yeah, yes, I agree,
1: so as uh, so from from with your current you know, with your current posture, working at a pregnancy clinic, um, where have you seen, where, how, you know, when it comes to working in in your, in your environment, uh, where have you seen God more recently, like in recent weeks or, you know, on a weekly basis, like where, how do you experience God in the work that you're doing?
0: Oh my goodness. Such a good question. Um, You know, it's going to come back to prayer again. Here's that prayer word. (laughs) It's uh, that's what changed me. Back in the day, you know, I I was a Christian going to church, but I was pro-choice, right? But it wasn't until I really engaged in that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my creator, almighty God, in prayer, that change started to happen. And one of the things I appreciate so much about our pregnancy center is that we do not start the day and we do not see a patient until we all pray together. Um, We pray over the day. We pray over the words that we are going to speak. Um, We pray over the patients that we're going to see, the ones that are scheduled, and maybe some that might uh, just walk in. We never know. Um, And we also meet every month or so to have prayer meetings. So if people sit on our board of directors or our volunteers or anybody that wants to participate, we actually go into our building and go into every room where a patient is serviced or where uh, one of our workers will be working. And just pray over that area um, that God would give us the words, give our patients uh, clarity that their eyes would be opened, that the scales would fall off. And they would see like, not only is this a human life, this is my baby created in the image of God. These people are here to help me. Um, That prayer sets the tone because as soon as those patients enter the pregnancy center. They're not seeing us. They're not seeing Jen RN sonographer. They're seeing the love of Jesus Christ. That is what changes things. You know, the interesting thing about our pregnancy center too is we are under uh, TPCN, Texas Pregnancy Care Network. And uh, as a medical person, I am not allowed to share spiritual content with a client unless they consent to it. And if they do consent to something like that, they do go with another uh, person that has been trained in that aspect. But what I, you know, at first I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I'm not even, I can't even share about Jesus, you know, with my patients. But then I thought, you know what? I don't even need to say a word. I can still pray for this patient and I can show them Christ's love by my actions. Um, They'll share their stories with me and say, please don't judge me, but... You know, I had an abortion at 17 weeks. Please don't judge me, but I got pregnant when I was, you know, this, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that is not my job to judge you. Um, I'm here to give you proper medical care. We're going to take your baby's first picture today. Let's see what we can see. You know, being able to show God's creation through an ultrasound image is incredible. That right there is showing a patient the truth. And, um, you know, in my Bible study recently, we just finished the book of John. And as you probably already know, in John, God talks about my word is true. I am truth, Constantly, constantly, right? So sharing a truth, sharing the truth with a patient, whether it's, um, you know, anything about medical content or what's going on with their body, embryology, all of that stuff, you're still sharing the truth. And by showing the parent, the patient truth, you're sharing Christ with them. You start to establish a relationship with that patient. And that patient knows you told them the truth. So now they can trust you. Now they might come back for our parenting classes or they'll come back for counseling. Uh, maybe they might be opening open to praying with somebody and having that person share the gospel with them. That right there is how we see God's fingerprints is establishing Trust in a Christ-like relationship and being able to share the gospel with them.
1: Wow, that is so good. So, to tell me, when you're providing an ultrasound, mm-hmm. what, how, how is your posture when it comes to the screen, and when it comes mm-hmm. to the the patient being able to see the screen, and what's what's the conversation like for describing what what is on the screen?
0: Yes, that's a really good question. Um, I will say it's the opposite from what my friend experienced. (laughs) We make sure that a patient can see everything that I can see. And the way we do that, um, I really like the way we have it set up. In our room, I have the ultrasound machine that I can see in front of me as I'm doing the scan. But that ultrasound machine is hooked up to another television on the wall opposite of the patient. So while they lay there on the exam table, they can see everything I'm seeing. And you know, as I'm doing the scan and everything, I get the important images that the uh, radiologist will need to read. And then I just tell the patient, I say, look, I'm an open book. If you have a question, if you're curious about what you're seeing at all, please let me know. Um, so usually the patients, I don't really have to tell them much because they can see what's in front of them. And they're like, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> you know, That's a baby. And I could be like, yes, you're right. Um, If they see flickering back and forth on that screen, you know, right around here, they know that's a heartbeat. They know exactly what they're seeing. Um, So that the heartbeat is usually the coolest part. It's just the best part ever. Um, So not only can the patient see exactly what I'm seeing, they can look at the baby moving around in there. Uh, They can see the heartbeat. Um, It's just incredible. We keep it really patient centered uh if the patient wants to ask questions they can if they just want to sit in silence in awe they can um we leave it up to them uh we do provide them just general education during that time you know what to do about pregnancy nausea don't change the kitty litter box those kinds of things to kind of just help them understand like okay your body is now accommodating another human being here's some things to help you uh, especially during this delicate process, right? Um, and then, you know, if the patient wants to talk about heavier things like, wow, you know, uh, I was thinking about having an abortion. How far along am I? What kind of abortion would that look like? You know, if and, they, and it could be different. You know, if somebody's in their first trimester versus their second or third, those abortion procedures are different. That does give me an opportunity to explain to that patient, hey, You know, here's a chemical abortion. Here is a um, a suction abortion. Here is a dismemberment abortion um, called a D&E, and all that kind of stuff. So we can go through those as well. Uh, So it can really, I really like to. um, I don't like to put a checkbox on it. I like the patient to actually lead in that room, because I can kind of tap into the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, Lord, is this person ready to hear this yet? I don't want them to feel pushed into anything. Like I'm trying to manipulate them. I just show them the truth. uh, What's up on there on that screen and then let them start asking the questions. And it's usually spot on the things that they're asking me. Um, Rarely do I have a patient. Sometimes they'll tell me I don't wanna see it at all. You know, I don't. In those cases, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna shut this screen off, And uh, that's perfectly fine too. Um, I always give them the opportunity if they change their mind, I can turn it back on. And I always print out pictures for them if they want to take pictures home. Uh, that tends to be a, a really big one as well. People love to have uh photos. So yeah, the ultrasound room is is it's great. There's a there's an energy in there that I can't really explain, but it's it's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> so that, yeah, that sounds that does sound amazing. I've got a question about the consent. So yes. you're mentioning. A bit ago that the texas uh princeton clinic network required Mm -hmm. essentially has like a uh, a night the rule i I guess of asking for consent before talking about jesus or religious topics of that nature um is that something that you say would you like the consent or how does how, how is consent offered i guess
0: yeah, so we, um, you know, in our situation, and again, not every pregnancy center is like that. Ours in particular is because we do receive funding from uh, the, the state of Texas. And that's the, I guess, the rules that they set up for us that, okay, if you're going to receive funding from us, you know, you have to follow these rules. It's a separation of church and state sort of um, mentality, I guess. Um, but in that in that kind of scenario, you uh, after I'm done in my in my position, I'm just doing the sonograms, right? After I'm done doing the scan, we ask the patient, you know, how do you feel about your scan? All of that, how do you just feel in general? They'll tell us, you know, I'm I'm scared about finances, or I, you know, this or that. They might share with us, they might not. And we do offer them, we just tell them, hey, we are we are a whole health holistic clinic. We care about your mind, body, and soul. We do offer spiritual services. Uh, We do have people here that are available to pray with you, to talk with you after this appointment. Is this something you might be interested in? And a lot of them say yes. (laughs) A lot of them. Yes. Somebody will talk to me and pray with me? Yes. I'd love that. Um, Some of them might even have their partner with them, might be a a boyfriend or a fiance or whoever. They might even agree to it as well. Um, And it's just incredible. To, you know, some people do have a religious background, some of them don't. Um, our spiritual team just meets people where they're at. And of course, we're uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Um, but even if they're not necessarily Christians, they seem open to that and want to learn more. And so, again, it's another situation where it's a, it's a very natural process. We keep it uh, to where the patient is comfortable. And if they want to participate, they can. If they don't, that's okay, too. They can still do our parenting classes and uh, tap into all of our material resources and everything. So there's not a whole lot of pressure on them to do anything. Uh, we just keep it. We just make sure they feel like the door is open if they want to walk through it. And, man, when they do, it's, it's pretty amazing. We're, all, we're usually rejoicing, you know, <laughs> in the background when somebody accepts Christ as their Savior or, or something like that. It's, it's really amazing.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful. It's, that's awesome. So as a sonographer, how many scans might you do in a given week?
0: Oh, in a given week. So in my situation, um, I'm only there twice a week. So
2: take okay. that
0: into account, right? Um, on a busy day, I'm probably, because we only have one machine and I'm, and I'm the only one who does the scans, but um, we're, a, we're a smaller facility. Uh, on a given week, or a given day it could be anywhere from like four to six scans so in the week it could be 12 about 12 a week on the high end um what's really interesting to me is there'll be days i'll come in and i'm thinking it's going to be really busy and it's not and then the next day i come in and you know you've got two people in the schedule but then you've got three people who walk in it's just it's really interesting how that happens um you know, our medical director reminded me, you know what, God bring, God's going to bring in here who he wants to come in here. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, I can't really predict it very well. Um, but whoever does come in, we just focus in on that person and, you know, make the most of it. So, and, um, you know, I was reminded not too long ago, don't despise small beginnings, right? We're just a tiny little pregnancy center with one uh, ultrasound machine and one sonographer. But you never know, that could very well expand. And I would love to see that happen. Um, the facility that I trained at actually had, I wanna say they had two or three machines and three sonographers, you know, and that was, they were really busy. So it um, depends on your location and everything. But yeah, I would say at the most about 12 scans a week that we're doing.
1: So when it comes to getting like feedback on, on what's in the scan, What, how do you currently, um, you know, if you, if you have a question about what you're seeing in a scan, how, you know, who do you currently reach out to, to ask for their opinion or for feedback on something that maybe you're thinking, I'd like to get a second pair of eyes on this.
0: Yes. Oh, it's such a good question. So we have an amazing radiologist. Um, He, he volunteers his time to read all of our scans. Um, and we're not the only clinic he reads. Actually, he reads a few of them. Uh, he is so ready and available anytime I have a question about anything. And I probably call him too much, but I'd rather err on the side of caution than you know. <laughs> so if I ever have a question about something, maybe I'm not sure if I'm seeing a subchorionic hemorrhage or some, you know, a bleeding complication, or hey, does this, you know, this person might be a, a higher risk for ectopic pregnancy? Can you look at this or? anything at all, um, I can page him directly and he calls me right back. Uh, the other nice thing is when I when I do a scan, he reads it the same day. He reads the images the same day and I have an ultrasound report the next day, which is incredible. Um, so I'm able to call patients pretty much right away afterwards. It's also a very nice way to touch point with that patient again, because some patients just come in all they want is an ultrasound you know they weren't planning on coming to see us again or do parenting classes um they just haven't really thought about it didn't think about it think it through so what it's a nice opportunity for me because i can read our radiologist report and i can call that patient back and say hey you know is jen from you know this pregnancy center I've got your report here, and then I can just ask them how are you doing. Can we help you with anything? Have you thought about doing our parenting classes? That kind of stuff. So um, that process, I feel really good about. Um, our doctor has got years of experience. He's he's taught at CareNet. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you were at CareNet conference this past time around. Yeah. He taught a few of the classes there, and I've, I was there as well. And um, just an amazing wealth of knowledge. He'll even come and visit our clinic sometimes. And he will sit down with myself and our nurse manager and just go over images and kind of teach us more about what is a normal placenta? What does a bleeding complication look like? What does an ectopic pregnancy look like? um, How are we going to address if we think a patient has an ectopic? What do we do from there? So any emergency situations, we really stay well trained up on that. And I'm just, I don't know, the whole training process and the people supporting me It's incredible. We also have our medical director, of course, just for any in general medical questions we might have. And uh, the team that trained me at another pregnancy center about, I'd say it's about 30 minutes away from us, more in in the city of San Antonio uh, towards that area. Um, That nurse manager and their two sonographers are always a phone call away as well. So I can always call them and say, hey, my machine's doing this can you help me with this? Um, you know, any kind of questions I have and they're so quick to just answer any questions and very supportive. So it's just, a, uh, it's really nice and really refreshing to work with people like that.
1: Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, so I guess, um, before I ask you to sort of pray at the end of this podcast, sure. I'd like to, what do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share mm-hmm. that you would really just encourage other people to know, or you want, you want them to yeah. know, or it might be an encouragement. What yeah. what final thoughts do you have?
0: Yeah, so I would, one of my two things come to mind. The first thing is, um, this overturning of Roe v. Wade has been huge. And I think it's been bigger than people anticipated. I think that they felt that abortion being as legal as long as it has been, people just kind of accepted it. And I was born into it, right? I didn't know a world without it until uh, this, you know, was it June of 2022, right? And so what I would say is really kind of examine yourself on this topic. Because back in the day when I was a young teenager, I have to admit I was pro-choice. And I know there's a lot of radical stories about there. People have these like big stories like I used to be a... um You know, I used to protest on the streets, and I was pro-choice, and then I radically had this conversion. Not everybody's story is like that. But even if your story is not like that, it's still very important to think about these issues. Uh, The way you approach these issues in life are going to have big implications on our culture. And you don't have to go on and be this big star or even become a sonographer or something like that. Praying to our Lord about this and raising up our families and teaching our children about the value of life is going to have a profound impact on this issue. Um, You know, Roe v. Wade was instated because we had a major cultural problem here. We had a spirit, that was a spiritual disaster for our country. The only way we are going to avoid this uh, from coming back and to fight against it, even now, because we have a lot of work to do, is to train up our children to value life, to love God, um, to protect the innocent. Um, That would be my probably my biggest advice um, right there. And my other thing is don't um if you are if you feel like you're being called into the pro-life ministry in any way, shape or form, whether you're a nurse um, that wants to do sonograms or you're a sonographer at a hospital and you're thinking about helping out a local pregnancy center. You want to start a single moms group in your churches. You want to engage the men in your community to get involved. Um, whatever that looks like, don't be afraid. Take that first step forward and do it. Um, you won't regret it. Uh, pray about it, of course, first, and be sure that this is something that God is calling you to do. Uh, but this is the time is now for such a time as this. If this is what you think you're being called to do, absolutely. Um, I just want to encourage you to go ahead
1: and do that. Oh, that's good. So I've got actually I've got two more questions before we end. Sure. So one mm-hmm. question is um, with the Hippocratic Oath, uh, yes. I think I think the Hippocratic Oath went away with Roe because how can doctors vow to not end the life of a patient right. when Ro- when abortion was well. Yeah. Legal across the country right. with Roe versus Wade, maybe. Right. And so what what are your thoughts on a post-Roe Hippocratic Oath coming back?
0: Yes. Amen. So that's a very good one. And Hippocratic Oath, and you know, I'm speaking to physicians more specifically with that. I also want to speak to nurses as well. Uh, we fall under, in my opinion, what we call the Florence Nightingale Pledge. And at the very end of that pledge, it says, I will not knowingly give a harmful drug right uh well we know that mifepristone is a harmful drug it ends a life and so i want to my message to nurses out there please adhere to that florence nightingale pledge that most of us had to say when we got pinned during our ceremony to become nurses um if you want to hold up that uh that value that life-affirming value and and the spirit that florence nightingale um Uh, started during that time, Um, that's something we really need to look at and uphold to not give a harmful drug. The same for a Hippocratic Oath. If you are not to do a patient harm, this includes the little patient in the womb. Um, During uh, when Roe v. Wade was legal, I personally believe that as a physician, if you were performing these abortions, you basically had to push that oath to the side. And violate that oath. And again, there's that abortion distortion, right? Participate in the lie. If you can participate in a little lie or pushing an oath to the side, now you can jump to something even more serious and more dangerous, right? Before you know it, now you're doing a bunch of abortions, you know, all week long. So it's, you know, this kind of stuff starts small. And then it grows and grows and grows until it becomes mainstream. And everybody's looking around at each other saying, well, abortion's normal. It's healthcare." I, I can assure you it didn't all start that way. <laughs> it wasn't considered normal or healthcare before all of this got started with Roe v. Wade.
2: Um,
0: and so I would definitely say now that we are in a post row environment, uh, my challenge to doctors and nurses is to uphold the original intention for that Hippocratic Oath and that Florence Nightingale Pledge. Uh, these are good things that we need to be paying attention to as practitioners. If you wanna provide good care, both to the woman and the child, you have to uphold these things. And be an advocate for that. If you see that that, uh, those oaths are being violated, as a doctor and nurse, speak up, speak up to your leadership, talk to your coworkers about this, make them think about it as well. Some people don't even realize what they're doing until you put it in front of them. Um, so that's probably the way we're going to have to continue this fight as medical professionals. We need more medical professionals to stand up. I really like the pro-life doctor. I don't know if you met him at CareNet as well. All yeah. the things he had to say, it was, it was wonderful. It was just, it was refreshing to see that because I'm like, here is another physician who understands this oath, who is standing up for life and is not afraid to speak to other medical professionals and others about this that's what we need. We need people strong in their convictions to speak up. Um, So yeah, that's probably my answer to that one.
1: (laughs) Sure. No, that's good. So my last question is, so in Texas with abortion, surgical abortion being not legal anymore for, for many months now, um, what, what what does the fight look like in texas is it mm-hmm. you know and also when it comes to the abortion pill being shipped and mailed to an address in texas and turning someone's bathroom into an abortion clinic what is you know what 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 world do we currently have going on yes. inside the state of texas
0: so you know i'm glad you asked that because i've had people tell me well texas is good now you guys don't have to worry about that issue anymore, and I thought to myself, "Uh-uh, our work has just begun," <laughs> because now that Roe v. Wade is overturned, essentially it placed a, a trigger law here in Texas where abortion is essentially outlawed in every in every circumstance. And so that being the case, we are still seeing patients come to our clinics. Um, they either don't know the law, they're not understanding the law, or they're planning to go to neighboring states to complete their abortions. So it is our job now, what I'm seeing mostly in the pregnancy uh, care center world here in Texas, is to educate these patients on accurate medical information. What is an abortion? Have you been warned about all the risks? Uh, Here are some risks of traveling to have an abortion. Some of these people are traveling to uh, neighboring states. Some of them are are traveling alone. Uh, and they're taking these pills and either going back to their homes or going to a hotel room. And, you know, our biggest warning to them is if you're having a bleeding complication and you are by yourself, there is no guarantee that you could pass out and then you'd have no help or something like that. This, this is still not safe, whether you're doing it here in Texas illegally or somewhere else legally. The, the biology doesn't change Um, it's all the same as it was before. Abortions are not safe. They're just not. Um, We give them as much information as we possibly can. Um, We're hearing just more and more stories about there, I guess there's some agencies that are paying for people to fly to other states to have these abortions. Uh, They are having cruise ships come to the shore And pick up patients and going out of our waters uh, here and performing the abortions out in international water and then coming back. Um, None of these scenarios are safe. Uh, They think they're working around it. They think, you know, these facilities providing this care, you know, they're telling patients, well, we care about you. Your state doesn't do this anymore, but we do, right? And we care about you. But my message to that is if you really cared about a patient, you would never have them fly by themselves to take a pill to block progesterone and go in a bathroom by themselves and have to bleed and possibly have serious complications. Um, That to me is not care, that's not loving. Um, And they're certainly not following up with these patients to see if they're okay. Um, And so a lot of that too on our side of it is if a patient does go through an abortion, and they need somebody to talk to, maybe they're struggling, they're having post-abortive symptoms, we're there to speak to them. We are there to talk with them through it. Uh, we have post-abortion recovery programs. Um, we have uh, another thing. It's called Hope Mommies. Uh, these are more for, like, miscarriage situations, but loss in general. If you lost the child, uh, they can have the, – there's tons of programs here to help people with that. So, it's a lot of education um, and also educating the patients on when they need to get emergency care because not a lot of, a lot of them understand that. Um, you know, telling a patient that, oh, an abortion is going to be like a heavy period or a cycle, that's not really giving them a good idea of what to look for. There, you know, bleeding is one complication, there's a lot of other complications, there's sepsis, meaning infection. If you're having like a surgical abortion there could be um a puncture of your organs internal organs uh various things like that so we just try to make sure that our patients are informed um and fight the legal battles here in texas because although it has been outlawed here there are a lot of efforts to reinstate uh, abortion here in the state of texas so there is um a lot of work to be done to make sure that that does not happen here
1: wow thank you so much for your, I, I i really have a longing for everyone on our pro life team to have a similar level of passion and energy when it comes to like you know fighting every day and to yes. not grow weary and to keep running yes. um so would you close out this podcast with a prayer with the expectation yes. that those who listen Will will uh, share in this prayer and call out to God. But yeah, would you yeah. just yeah, close this in a, in a prayer with that expectation?
0: Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to have this interview with Jacob and the IRApture team. Um, Lord, my prayer is that anyone who is within the sound of my voice, that they would open their hearts and their minds to your message. And your message is truth and life, Lord. I pray that you would change hearts from stone to flesh, that they would recognize that innocent lives are worth protecting, whether they're in or outside of the womb. Lord, I pray for any woman who's experienced the violence of abortion, that they would be able to find comfort in your arms, Lord, that they would be able to find people uh, around them, whether it's family or a pregnancy center or just information from a podcast like this that they would receive hope, Lord, that they would have people come around them and help them with the healing process and know that there is forgiveness and hope um, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless Jacob and his team, that you would bless anyone who listened to this podcast to stay um, stay the course, to understand their mission, um, to serve you, Lord, and to protect innocent life. And I just pray, Lord, that... Um, yeah, that you would just change hearts and minds and encourage anyone who's listened to this podcast in Jesus name. Amen. Sponsors include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and iRapture.com.
1: The Pro Life Team podcast is a ministry of iRapture.com.
3: If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.